Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. In this episode, we're discussing content marketing and specifically how to measure whether your content marketing is working for you and what decisions you can make based on the analytics. We'll show you how. This is episode number 26, how to measure content marketing success using analytics, and it starts right now. Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, visit araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. This is a happy hour, and of course, what happy hour is complete without a few beverages. Chris, what are you drinking during this happy hour? You know what? It is a little early. We're recording this on a Monday morning, and Ryan and I actually just got done with Nat Bibby's uh, Monday Night Live on LinkedIn. And so uh, he is in Perth, Australia, and we had to get up extra early for it. So we decided, you know what? Let's go ahead and record the podcast. Well, it is a happy hour, so you got to have something, right? So, But it's early. I, d- I didn't think a beer was appropriate, so I just went with a simple Bloody Mary this morning, you know, just, just keeping it light. What about you, Ryan? Good Bloody Mary, I like. And by the way, we're going that route. It's uh, extra spicy for me. I like the pepperoncinis in there. Spice it up with a good salt rim. To me, that is what makes. And if you can get a salad basically as a garnish, that is like the perfect Bloody Mary. So that's how I like it. Um, no, for me, you know what? Keeping it early morning, happy hour. It is a, uh, a little Lamarca, a little orange juice. A Prosecco is a, a mimosa in the uh, Prosecco. So that's what I am having. Very nice. Well, we've got our beverages in hand, so let's get this show on the road. He's Ryan Smith. I'm Chris Casale. Thank you for joining us this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you for checking back in. By now, you should know marketing is a big passion of ours. And if you're a content marketer or you're in the digital strategy space, then we know you're going to enjoy this episode. Our goal is to help your business achieve results so that you can reach your goals. In this episode, As we said, we're going to explore the various content marketing metrics in Google Analytics. Some of it might be new to you. Some of it, it's you're aware of it, but you overlook it. And you'll discover how you'll make marketing decisions based off of the data in front of you. So this podcast is actually the third in a series of podcast episodes we've created over the last few weeks. Two weeks ago, we talked to you about how to determine what the right content was to build, right, for for each stage in the marketing funnel. Last week, we focused on how do you repurpose that content? You've put a lot of time and energy into building it. How do you repurpose it and use it across different platforms? Well, today, we're going to talk to you about the analytics side of things. How do you measure which content's performing so it'll give you ideas that you can you know, build more content with, but also other ways that you might be able to leverage the content you've got that's very, very successful. In order to do that, we're going to talk to you about a couple platforms. First of all, we're going to start with Google Analytics because that is the basis for analytics measurement in the marketing world. If you have a digital platform, a website or a mobile app, and let's be honest, if you don't have a digital platform, this probably isn't the right podcast for you because it is the digital marketing happy hour. 
but it's 2020, you should have a digital platform. If you do, you should be using Google Analytics. So we're going to talk to you about what you should be looking at in your Google Analytics, what you should be measuring, and how to determine what's working and what's not working. In addition to that, we're going to talk about some of the social media platforms and the analytics that are available on those platforms and sort of how you should be measuring and using that information as well. And we're going to go through it all in the next 30 minutes or so here. First thing is we like to look at when you're creating content. So if it's on your website, obviously that's where Google Analytics comes in. If you're creating articles, if you even have sales pages, if you just want to see where people are navigating to on your website, this is one of the things that we love about Google Analytics. So specifically, though, the content that you are creating and publishing on your website, there's a couple that you need to look at. First and foremost is what are the actual pages that your users are viewing when they come to your website? The metric is page views. A couple of things that people naturally like to look at. They're going to look at the bounce rates, meaning they didn't advance to another page. They landed on that page and they didn't advance to another page and they left your website. Technically, as a high-level overview, that's what a bounce rate is. Now, a lot of people put a lot of weight and emphasis on bounce rate. High bounce rates mean very bad content. And that's a misnomer, and that's not 100% accurate. It can be accurate, but that's not 100% true. Other metrics that people look at are time on sites. Are they only on there for 30 seconds? Are they on there for three minutes? Are they on there for 13 minutes? That's a big gauge that people use and uh, as a metric if your content is working or not. Does time on site actually is a good evaluator if your content is good? It can be, and it depends, just like bounce rate, it depends. And then last but not least, we'll kind of get into goals. Do you have goals set up that have to do with your contents? And we'll kind of get into that as well. So first thing we like to look at is page views. That's one of the first things I like to go to is what are pages that people are looking at? And when you open up your Google Analytics, you could see that Personally, the first thing I like to do is go into under acquisition. You get a chance to go see, look at all traffic and just see, okay, what are the channels that people are coming into? So channels means, is it organic? Is it social media? That's one thing I like to look at and just to see where the traffic is coming from. But as I talked before, getting down into, okay, well, what are the pages that people are looking at? If you go into behavior, and then under behavior, you look at your site contents. And then from there, there is something called all pages. That will show you every URL that people are visiting and they're viewing. Now we're getting into the content. So if you just created a blog article, that's where you want to go. And this is where you're going to find that and see how many people are on it. And you have page views and then you'll have unique page views. What's interesting about that is unique means Google's only counting you once. Page views is overall. So somebody could come back and view that page a second time or a third time or a fourth time. Each time they come back, that will be calculated under the page views. Unique page views is they just came that one time. So I like to look at both. And then you can see average time on that page. This is where it really depends, the time on page. If they're only on for 30 seconds, that might be okay. It depends on did you have something that was a super long blog post on there? Then that might be, okay, maybe 30 seconds is, is, was it long enough? If you have what we have on our site, we embed all the podcasts. So this podcast that you're listening to right now is embedded on 
our website on the blog post that accompanies it. So if they're on for 30 seconds, that tells me they weren't really listening to the podcast or reading it for very much. Now, if they're on for several minutes, then it tells us that somebody who is on our website, araxum.com, on the podcast area, that they are listening to our podcast. So if they're on for several minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, okay, they're consuming the podcast on the website. So that gives us an indicator as well. So time on site, when your content, it really depends on what was your objective to get there? Was it just a short-term visits that they had, maybe only had a 500 words on there. They weren't going to spend that long anyway. And then they, they, they leave. So you have to gauge based on the content that's on there. And I would say the next part people like to look at is the bounce rates. Now, Chris, out of everything we talk about with, with websites and especially content, I think bounce rate is one that people overvalue because they'll see a high bounce rate. And I've worked with a lot of clients and they just, they get really upset and they panic that that's just the worst thing that ever happens. But I'm sure as you know, Chris, that it doesn't always tell the whole story. No, bounce rate, like any metric, can be both good and bad, depending upon the context in which you look at it. If the page delivered the value that the individual who was browsing to that page needed to receive and they got exactly what they were looking for and they bounced off to another site, that might be a mark of success. You delivered the information that you intended to deliver and the browser went on their way, right? Another way to look at it is, well, I really wanted them to engage with the site more, right? I wanted them to download a white paper. I wanted them to visit other articles on my blog. I wanted them to go forward to the sales page. If that's the case and they're bouncing off after only one page visit, that is probably not as good. However, another way that you can look at that is look at the bounce rate broken down by audience segments. Are there certain audiences that are more likely to bounce? And that will allow you to target your traffic more specifically so you can re you can reach those that are not bouncing as frequently. Now, these are all three, uh, the three metrics that we just went through here that Ryan went through in terms of page views, time on site, and then bounce rate. These are all good starting points, but there is something we want to differentiate here. Ryan, do you ever make a business decision, a key business decision based on any of the metrics we just talked about? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why not? Because they don't tell you the whole story. And these are, is the term that's thrown out in the industry, these are called vanity metrics. Absolutely. And that's a key point that you need to understand. These are metrics that are very useful. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But you have to understand the difference between a vanity metric, which gives you high level information that really isn't useful without context, and the important key performance indicators or OKRs or objectives and key results, right? Over the long haul, you have to identify the metrics that are most important to your business. Usually, those will be very key metrics such as things like sales, right? A conversion. Did somebody convert on the site and actually buy the product? You might measure it at a higher level. It might be somebody that filled out a form and gave you their email address because if that happens, they become a lead and a certain percentage of leads end up purchasing your product or service in time. Those end up being more key performance indicators. And so those conversions are the true mark of success. However, as you're working towards optimizing those and creating those conversions, you start with some of the higher level vanity metrics, as Ryan said, because they can give you indications of how the content is performing and are they going to lead up to those conversions. 
So now that we're beginning to look at some of the metrics and get at least a ballpark idea of what content is interesting, what is drawing people in, uh, you look at the channels, the source medium to see what actually brought them to there. So now that we have a better understanding of that, we can sort of peel back the layers a little bit. Anytime that you create content and you want to go into analytics, you have to think, what is the objective? Where is the end game with this piece of content? Now, that's something you actually should start with anytime you're creating content. When you're creating blog articles, information that you want to educate people on, you have to remember that that is kind of that top of the funnel. You can't always expect to create some like how-to article and then have them buy your product or service that is online. Can it happen? Sure. But is it is it probable? Is it likely? Not on the first time, not on the first attempt. So your objective when you're creating that high funnel is to get people familiar with their, your brand, who you are, and that you're there to solve somebody's problem. So we go into analytics. We look at the pages that they viewed. Did they leave? Did they go to other pages? If they didn't check out your sales page, I wouldn't be overly concerned at this stage. If, again, you're creating blog articles, for example, and drawing them back in. One thing I like to do in when you're giving them information on your websites and they're navigating your website, and then eventually, however long your buyer's journey is, sometimes it's real quick for some people. It's maybe a few days a week. Others, especially if you're in like the automotive industry, you're talking a sales cycle of probably about three months, you know, anywhere from 70 to 90 days is the sales cycle. So you have to keep that in mind. Now, they won't always come to your website at the very beginning of the journey. Some will, but not everybody will. And so you have to keep that in mind of what pages are they touching and, and reading and consuming and then understand where they are in your cycle. When somebody finally converts, I always like to find out where did they come from? And when I say where did they come from, I don't mean what was the last click? What was the last thing that drove them to then fill out a form? While that is important, I think we need to know that. You also have to realize that's not always tells the whole story. We need to know what brought them there the first time, what brought them back a second time and a third time. So here's a, a, an example. You create this content piece. It's a blog article. And they come and they read it and then they leave, right? They bounced. That's always not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. So if they're bouncing and they read content of yours, you probably didn't give them an action. There was nothing more for them to do and they left. Now you want to remarket to them, right? So we know we have a Facebook pixel on our website. We want to, for example, reach back out and send them an ad to bring them back to the website. Now, one thing that gets lost is sometimes people will send them something to bring them back to the sales page and they're not quite there. They're not ready yet. A lot of times you want to create a native ad, bring them back to another piece of content that's educational and informal. It's less intrusive. They're more likely to come back if they feel like they're getting something. So you want to keep giving your knowledge and your education. And this works for both B2B and B2C. And then they come back again this time, let's say, for example, it's a Facebook ad and they're going through. Well, on this blog post, you need to have some sort of lead magnet attached to it, some sort of upgrade, a guide, whatever you want in that blog post. Say you, you talk about your contents and where they can click and download a cheat sheet, a guide, a swipe file, whatever it is. Now they've come a couple of times and they want more information from you. They want that guide. They're going to give you an email address. Now you have that. Now 
they have their guide and now you can start following up with them, sending emails. And again, we'd get into the analytics to look at through your email service provider to see what emails are being opened and what actions being taken. You know, people clicking, not only are they opening it, are they clicking through on it? When you get through all this process, you want to look and see, especially when somebody downloaded something, you have goals created in Google Analytics. Now, we're not going to get into how to set up goals, how to get it set up events in Google Tag Manager. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit about that. Those are easy Google searches, and there's great tutorials on how to set all of that up and to work with somebody in your IT department as well, especially if you're not familiar with Google Tag Manager, very powerful, and you definitely need somebody who knows what they're doing. But there's a lot of easy tutorials with a good Google search. What I like to do, though, is to find out. We always like to look and see what was it that they last interacted with and then downloaded that form and they submitted their contact information from you. So now you have a lead and you can follow up through lead nurturing or give it to your sales team and, and they can follow up. I like to go into the conversions tab in Google Analytics and I go to conversions and I like to look at multi-channel funnels. I click that. And there's this little tool called model comparison tool. What that model comparison tool does is you can look at, and there's several different models that you can look at. I like to compare last click. It's called last interaction. And I like to compare that to linear. And last click gives 100% credit to whoever that last thing was that brought them to the website. So it could have been a Facebook ad in this example. It could have been a Google remarketing ad, whatever it is, a paid ad. A lot of times that shouldn't get all the credit. They could have come through an organic search and they found your blog post. When you look at linear, let's say they came back three times, four times, five times, the linear model in Google Analytics will let you see and it equally disperses credit. So every organic will get a little bit of credits. Uh, social media will get a little bit of credit. Paid search will get a little bit of credit on linear. So it, it divides it equally. So if they came four different times to your website and on the fourth time they downloaded, then each four times they're going to get 25% credits. Where in last interaction, they get 100% credit for that. I like to look because a lot of times you don't realize a blog post brought them to your website and they were introduced from it. But the last click interaction could have been an email. It could have been a Facebook ad of some sort that they then converted from that. So looking at Google Analytics, it's going to tell you a little bit more of the whole story and truly what content pieces are working and what was what's great, which was the last thing they did to convert. But also, what are all the steps in between that people kept coming back to your website? So Chris, that's one of the, the model comparison tool in Google Analytics I love because it, it sometimes it gives you more information than you know, of the different ways that people got to your website. I think that one of the key things that you just talked about in the, the multi-touch model is why we spent so much time a few podcasts ago talking about creating content for different stages of the buyer's journey. Because the simple fact is, you don't know where individuals are that are searching your website. You don't know where they are in their buying journey. And so having content that's relevant to them at different stages is what's going to convince them to make that next move. I can use a personal story. Uh, living in the state of Florida, we have very, very hard water in this state that comes through the, the tap. And, you know, we've been getting a lot of like calcium deposits on like the shower heads and stuff like that. And, you know, you can clean it off and whatnot, but every once in a while you have to replace it because it builds up over time. So finally, you know, I've spent the last few weeks like I'm like, all right, I need to cave and I need to get myself a water softener here because it's just it's the, the quality's not good. And I'm tired of having to go through different, you know, appliances and shower heads and you know, stuff like that. 
So I get online to do some research, and the first place I started was I typed in Culligan water softeners. And the reason I searched that brand is because they're the ones that are most heavily advertised, right? That was a brand name that I knew. I had seen it at Home Depot. But I went to their website, and I took a look at what they had to offer, but I didn't just stop there. I also looked at some comparison sites. And I'm glad I did my research here because Culligan water softeners, according to what I have found, and this is no knock on Culligan, so if you're out there and you're listening, and don't shoot me for this, this is just the information that's available on the publicly accessible internet. Culligan water softeners are cheaper to install, but over time, you will spend more money on salt and keeping them up to to date than you will other brands. There are other brands where the water softener itself is actually more expensive on installation, but they have saltless installations or they use much less salt. So in time, the unit will cost you less if you're willing to pay for that upfront cost, right? Well, I didn't know the first thing about water softeners. So I had to go in and I had to learn all of this stuff. And then I had to figure out, okay, well, what am I willing to spend? Am I willing to spend more upfront and, and less in the long run? Am I okay with certain maintenance costs? What sort of longevity does it have? What sort of improvements am I going to see in the quality of the water? And I'm three weeks in and I still haven't made a purchase, right? I'm going to, likely before the end of the year, I will end up making a purchase. So it's probably three months here. But I'm spending my time doing a lot of research, taking in a lot of information. Now, the first website I went to, I got a pop-up uh, offering a brochure, or it was a white paper or something like that, and they wanted my name and email address. Do you think I filled in that form? Absolutely not. There's no way I'm ready to hand over my email address at that stage. So if you were looking at the data, you might see that I came in off of a search and bounced off of the website, and that's a bad thing, right? Except I end up coming back, you know, a week later when it you know, jog my memory again, like, oh, I need to do this. Let me go look up some more information. I end up going back to that website. And now I look at some other pages on the site, right? So that's why it's so critical to make sure that you're drafting content for individuals at different stages in the journey. And when you're looking at the analytics for it, don't get sold or don't get honed into one specific metric. Consider it in the context of what you're looking at, where the users are coming from, how they're being acquired, how long they're staying, are they coming back, and are they eventually leading to that long-term key performance indicator or that conversion? Uh, hard water in Florida, it's a thing. It's a serious issue. And it's interesting that you're talking about this. <laughs> and we haven't talked before this episode. We didn't talk about anything about water softeners. This weekend, I have a water softener and it, it was, uh, I apparently you can put too much salt in it. I never knew this. And it stopped working because the salt turns into this big rock, sh like it, it, it stops working. So I had to get a shovel and start digging through, chipping away, chiseling at it. What's interesting is, guess what I did though? I did a Google search, how to fix a water softener. What I found was a DIY website that showed me exactly some of the issues and how easy fixes that they are. Now, I did not purchase anything. This was a tutorial that I saw, actually probably, I probably did three different searches, came back, kept coming back to the same guy and uh, watching the video with, and showing me how to, how to fix it, what possible issues were. And it, it was successful. I actually bookmarked it because it is a handyman basically. So it's other different things. Now, when I come into an issue, that's the first place I am going to go to is look at this site and try to fix things around the house. Yeah, hard water in Florida, you don't realize it. You think beaches and Florida and all that, the water here is sucks. It's awful. Matter of fact, I've gone through more coffee pots because of hard water that is destroyed over time, broke everything inside because of not having the, uh, the, the soft water. But I digress. Content is where it's at. And even though I didn't make a purchase from this person, I will now go back. And if I need it, 
now I will be able to, you know, use this person's, you know, uh, services to come in and create because it's a handyman. The first thing this person did was educate me and it worked. I did their tips and I fixed my water softener. Second thing was now I trust this person. This person has built authority with me that they know what they're talking about. Now, again, that's high funnel. I wasn't ready for a service call. And that person kind of like Chris said, if they were going to reach out and say, schedule your service, I would have been gone and I wouldn't have come back again. So those are the types of content that you need to put out there. And so what you're looking at on the analytics here would be if it's a video and it's long form, let's say it's five minutes long, did they make it you know, all the way through? At what point did they drop off? Was it halfway through? If you start seeing a lot of halfway throughs, probably a couple of things is it's not necessarily bad. You answer that person's question at the 50% mark. So go back in your video if you start seeing people bounce off and ask yourself, okay, what was the content that we just mentioned here in this video where people dropped off? Either more likely you answered that question. So that also helps you learn more and you can create different types of videos, you know, answering other people's questions. So analytics will tell you all of that kind of information. And the thing about marketing is people find your information or your brand through a variety of different ways. And as a perfect example of that, which website do you think Ryan is going to provide to me as soon as this podcast is over so that I can do some additional research and probably make a purchasing decision, right? So even though he's not in the market, I am, and we just had a conversation about it and he knows that I am. So now I'm going to collect that information and I'm going to go on and I'm going to take a look at it and potentially make that purchasing decision. But he did just mention one thing that I do think we should spend some time talking about, which is when we're talking about videos and other types of content on a web page, that brings us to event tracking. Ryan, what is event tracking? So events are something that there's a you have events and then you have goals. Goals, for example, are things for somebody does an action like they filled out a form. And that form, obviously, in a sense, could be a contact us. You can create a goal around. It could be a lead magnet where they're downloading a guide and then you create that goal. Events, on the other hand, are not tied to any specific pages. You get one goal during a session. You can have a person uh, trigger multiple events during a session while you're on your website. Events don't allow you to see conversion data, such as like a conversion rate. And you can't access events in your standard reports under goals and conversions. So to access events, you can reference their behavior reports in Google Analytics, which is on that left sidebar. So one thing you can do is you create events in Google Tag Manager and something that is going to trigger an event. One way, especially specifically content marketing or videos, you can create an event when somebody scrolls your page and you can create it, whether it's 25% down, 50% down, 75% down, they scroll your page or 100%. So hypothetically, you can have an event trigger and find out on the pages on your website that somebody scroll 75% down, that they scroll 100% down. This is great for blogs and articles. Also, if you have a sales page and, and you've probably seen it, some sales pages are short, some sales pages are extremely long where you have to like scroll and scroll and scroll. And now, now there's theories of why those are super long because I figure if you're going to make it all down this far, you're probably very um, close to buying or you are more likely to buy that product. Scroll page depth, if they how far down they go in those percentages, gives you an idea at what point people are dropping off. What's your content there? Were you super repetitive and they just got sick of it? Articles, same way, super long articles. Let's say you have this 
pillar blog post that is 2,000, 2,500 words. You can find out how far down did people go before they bailed. You can see did somebody, maybe they only spent 15 seconds on a blog post, but they completed it. They made it all the way down. What does that tell you? They were skimming. So you can look at your blog content. Okay. They skimmed. Did I make it easy for them to skim? Most people do skim, by the way, blog content. Rarely does somebody actually read all your content word for word. So if you have bullet points, then you make it really easy to consume your content because you could have 2000 words, but you can still make it snackable by breaking things out with headers and putting bullet points in there. Most of the time, that's all they're going to read is those bullet points. So make sure that they are important. In your analytics, you can look at page scroll depth, and that is triggered by an event that we just talked about. And of course, you can create events in Google Tag Manager. So events are very important and it can give you a little bit more insight as to you know what kind of actions people took on your website that just a goal wouldn't provide you. So we covered a lot of the areas of Google Analytics and the reason for that is it's absolutely critical in terms of your analytical data. There's so much information available in Google Analytics. It's a completely free platform. You should absolutely be using it. You probably have some other business systems as well, whether that's CRM like Salesforce or HubSpot. You can pull a lot of great data from those as well as your financial systems. But the analytics data should be feeding into all of that through Google Analytics. So you should have, you should be able to see the full scope of the funnel in terms of how individuals come in and express information in terms of what you're selling and what you're offering uh, with how do they convert at the very end? How do they purchase from you? However, there are other platforms out there, and we sort of mentioned this at the top of the show in the form of the social networks and the data that's available on social platforms. So Ryan, why don't you talk about Facebook a little bit and how we use that for both the podcast and the website? So fa- Facebook, and, and it's good to, to, to jump into that because that's probably the number one platform, especially if you're running paid ads, that uh, that people use, uh, especially when it comes to social media, whether it's, again, organic, you're going to get uh, some traction, but you get your most traction in the sense of your reach and engagement is through paid ads. When you open up Facebook and you're looking at the analytics, it's a couple of things. Uh, do a quick Google search on Facebook and analytics, and you'll see that they have sensationalized their numbers and they've gotten caught in, you know, kind of slapped in the past. And so piggybacking off of what Chris was saying, you need to look at multiple data points before you can really come to making marketing decisions. Because Facebook, I think, inflates their numbers a little bit. And if you don't dig around a little bit, you might think ads specifically are performing maybe better than what they're telling you. It's good to look at your Facebook ads, and especially if you're sending them to your website, and then compare your Google Analytics data. Put them all together. Now, you're going to have to toggle back between two different tabs of Google Analytics and Facebook, but it's important. So one example of that is Facebook is loves to talk about the clicks. What they don't always tell you is, or you have to dig to find out, a click doesn't mean necessarily that somebody clicked on your link in the ad and went to your website. A click just means anything. A click could be they liked it, they shared it. A click could mean they clicked on your company name in the Facebook ad and then went back to your business page and they're checking that out, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but even when they leave the ad, they click on your company name and they go to your company's uh, page on Facebook. If they click around and look at maybe the pictures on there, those still are counting. 
and the analytics for clicks. So you have to be cognizant of that. And you can't just look at all clicks. You can look at unique link clicks, which is a column that's there. And I think that's important too, because the fact that Facebook calls out and have their own column link clicks, that's important and unique, meaning okay, that one person you know, clicked it. I think that's important. The other thing you're going to see is you're going to see landing page links and you're going to have a number. Then you're going to open up Google Analytics and you're going to look at the Google Analytics and the amount of traffic that's coming into Google Analytics from that Facebook ad is going to be less. So there's a couple of things here. I think, again, when people are clicking on ads in Facebook, they're going to report a higher number of clicks. What you really want to do in Facebook is look at landing page views, which sometimes is 75% less of a number. So if you're getting, for example, a hundred unique link clicks, people, your landing page views might only be 25, might be 30. It, it depends, you know, who your audience is and so forth. What that means is a landing page view just means that they click the link and then the page they're going to, they landed on actually loaded. And it might even be loaded for like a second or two. I, I, that part, I'm a little, uh, I, I can't recall exactly, but it does mean it loaded. That's important too, because 90% of the people that are viewing Facebook are doing it on their mobile device. We've all had fat thumbs. We've all misclicked things and we don't even wait for the page to load and we exit out of it. So when it comes to landing page views, it won't always sync up with what's in your Google Analytics. So what's important is that you're going to want to not only look at Facebook and see how many people are, you're sending to your website, but obviously you also wanna see what happened when they got to your website. Did they only consume the content on that page or did they decide to navigate and go around in Google Analytics? Uh, we'll tell you that. So it's important to see that the comparison of Facebook, obviously with the comparison in uh, Google Analytics, just to recap, they won't always be the same, but it's going to give you more information and more data between the two. Another good way that you can leverage your social platforms, you've heard Ryan and I talk about this if you're a listener of the podcast, you have to know who your audience is. So when we tell you to know who your audience is, how do you identify them? Well, social platforms are a great way to do that. What are the demographics of the individuals that are choosing to engage and follow you on these social platforms? Is there a difference between those that are following you versus those who are actively engaged with you? And as you're talking to these individuals over time, you can also learn some of their psychographics. What are their fears? What are their motivations? What are their concerns? What are the things that are causing them to take the actions that they're trying to take? Every single one of the social platforms out there has some sort of insights tab or data tab or analytics tab that allows you to go in and get a snapshot of who your audience is. And you can also use that information for remarketing later. So we're just kind of scratching the surface when it comes to analytics in your content. You can dive really deep into each one and, and there's, you know, master classes uh, available on this type of information. What we wanted to bring to your attention was it's A, it's important to understand that this type of analytics is available to you. You should never put all your faith in just one. Don't put all your faith in just Facebook analytics, YouTube analytics. Look at multiple sources. Look at the, the native platform if you're running ads from it or you're doing organic posts and then compare it to what you're seeing on Google analytics and make decisions based on that. Don't just look up, oh, I came, but then they bounced. Again, depending on what's on that page, if it's just an article, then they're going to probably bounce. And it's not a bad thing. What you want to do is set up some remarketing 
on them and bring them back to your website, but don't bring them back to a sales page. Bring them back to something that is educational and that is informative. And you want to keep reaching back out to them, whether it's through Facebook ads, keep sending them content. If you have their information, uh, meaning an email address, set up a lead nurturing campaign. See, monitor your email analytics. What emails are getting the most opens? What emails are getting the most opens and clicks? And then you look at your Google Analytics to see what happens when they come to the website. Are they converting from those lead nurturing emails that you're doing? So those are some of the key points. And there's, again, a lot more that you can do in all these analytics platforms. But this is a good starting place, especially if you're unfamiliar with getting into analytics. So that'll wrap up another episode of Digital Marketing Happy Hour, but no episode is complete without keeping it light. Ryan, what are you reading or binge watching these days? Living in Tampa, right now we're going through sort of this sports, something that's never happened here before, where the Lightning have won the Stanley Cup. And now a month later, the Tampa Bay Rays are in the World Series and the Buccaneers are in first place in the division. So right now I have been every night have been watching now after hockey's done, I've been watching the Tampa Rays in, you know, baseball and now the world series is going on. So I am completely immersed in all things of the Tampa Bay Rays and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now. Yes. Big shout out to the Rays who vanquished the Houston Astros. They almost choked almost, but they did not. And that's what, that's what matters at the end of the day, Houston lost. So if you actually go back a few weeks ago, we had Neil Schaefer on and you guys called Rays Dodgers in the world series. And here we are. So, uh, it's a weird season, but uh, a fun one nonetheless. So now we get to see who, who the world champion will be. As for myself, I actually am avoiding TV lately. I just, there's so much news and politics and everything on. I'm like, I don't want any part of this. Uh, I've been on uh, a reading kick and uh, I mentioned Lean Analytics last week. This week, I'm reading a book that's been in my library for a while called High Output Management by Andy Grove. And for those that have any interest in you know some of the best management books out there, this book was very highly uh, rated and regarded and was recommended to me because Andy Grove is considered one of the pioneers in the industry. He escaped communist-controlled Hungary when he was 20 years old and ended up coming to the United States. And he was the third employee of a little-known chipmaker company called Intel, ended up becoming the CEO, and was just widely regarded as both a fantastic manager and leader of his people, but brought that that company to massive success. And he passed away a few years ago, but uh, I think his lessons live on, and the book is, is really a good read. Well, we want to hear from you. If you heard something that you loved or you want to add to the conversation, let's keep it going. One way you can do it is send us an email at podcast at araxam.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Otherwise, you want to hit us a little quicker, get us up on social media. On LinkedIn, you can just type in Araxam. You'll find Chris and I both that way. Or directly, you can find me, just type do a LinkedIn search, Ryan Smith Marketing. And then Twitter and Instagram, I am Ryan Smith FLA. And I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. On Twitter, you can find me under Real Chris Casale. That's R E A L C H R I S C A S A L E. And on LinkedIn, you can find me under Chris Casale. You can find me under Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And of course, Araxum as well. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We sincerely hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it remains our mom's favorite podcast. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.
Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album Message. Learn more at BetterWithMusic.com. Thank you for listening.